The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let me sort myself out here. There's something very exciting happening out in the narthex. So <laughs> Lots of people came to church today. They just may not make it in. Yeah. <laughs> as you settle into your seat and as you feel yourself arriving here, I invite you to kind of slow down for a moment or two. Take a couple of deep breaths and allow yourself to open up and recognize the presence of the living spirit in us, with us, and around us right here and right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Here am I. Christ calls, but we still have to come. Christ teaches, but we have to take the lessons to heart. Christ does not make it easy, but Christ does call. Here am I, all of me. Scan it right now if you want. You can take it home and scan it. Um, 
but it allows us, if you're new, um, to get some of your contact information so we can be in touch with you. It also allows you, if you have a, a prayer concern or something you would like Rob or me to know, everything on the form goes directly to, to Rob and me. So use that. If you don't like QR codes, just write something in the bulletin and hand it to us as you leave. That works too. I see a pencil right there. Excellent. All right. Let us now join together in our community prayer. Let us pray. Sometimes we live in search of shortcuts, avoiding the difficult path, even when we know the true way. Sometimes we go off the beaten path of faith, as we suspect we should, inconveniently contradict the commitments we have professed to be ours. Sometimes we go to church and service. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, do not let your hearts be troubled even during those times of struggle or times of challenge for God's hope and love and grace are for each one of us. Each one of us is forgiven of all that separates us from the Holy One. Each one of us is made new. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the ways that we build up the community and take care of each other is to share what's going on in our lives. So this is a chance to share your joys or your concerns with the congregation that we may be more tightly bound together. Joys or concerns? Joe, it's good to see you back. And feeling better? Good. Slovenia. Joe was in Slovenia, but got to see very little of it, uh, except from her window in the room where she was quarantining. So, yeah. She had a wonderful trip, and we're glad you're home and safe and healthy. Others. Patty. We're great. We're thrilled to see you back, Patty. And um, yeah, she gives thanks for the, all those who were supportive in her time of recovery. And she's getting better and better. And and just gratitude for all of you, the way you've cared for one another. And and let that be a reminder of how important it is to pitch in when somebody in the church is hurting. Others, yeah, please, Reese. Absolutely. Will you, now, will you be here next Sunday? Not to put you on the spot. Oh, 
Then will you guys come on up? Are you comfortable? Will you will you come on up? While they come forward, other joys or concerns? Yeah, Barb. Go ahead, Barb. Thanks, Beth. Thank you, Barb. Many of you know Gerilyn Blackstone, longtime men, member, longtime treasurer of this church, longtime servant of the denomination, actually. And she's had some terrible trouble with her legs that, that stretched for a couple of years now. And so uh, that was in the prayer chain, but we certainly hold her up in prayer. If there are any other kids here, too, you can come down if you want to come down so we say goodbye to this family. Come on down. Because you had friends that used to come and sit with you all in the time of discovery, and we wanted them to come up and, and be with you, too. Oh, gosh, this is really sad. Um, but I, also know it's, I also know it's happy because it's a new chapter for you all. So we know there's happiness and sadness, but we couldn't dare send you off without saying a prayer for you. So if, if it's okay with you, we're going to say a little prayer for you right now. Will you guys join me in saying a prayer for them, these friends of yours? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks for the Cresser family, for the gift of faith that you've given them so deeply, for the joy they've brought to this congregation and to their friends here and their family here. And we pray for them as they make this next big step in their journey, as they move to Kansas, as they make new friends, as they organize a new home, as they figure out their work and their life and all that such a move entails, will you bless them, O oh God, with a fellowship of faith and a spirit that goes with them always. Let them always remember they have a place here and that they're loved and loved and loved by this church. Bless them, O oh God, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Yeah, you guys can hang out if you want. We're going to call you up in a minute anyway. It's up to you. Or you can go there. Or if you were at the vet late last night, you can take a nap in the pew. <laughs> Benjamin, we'll keep you if you want, but your family's going that way. Any last other ones? Yeah. Yeah, so a, a dog that was at late, uh, uh, the aforementioned late night visit to the vet, uh, dog was there quite late. Is Everything's good, but it's a late night for the family. Brandon, do you want to add something, or is this about lacrosse? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know it's hard. And we actually, the Harkins family lost their dog this week, so we know those, gosh, these these uh, aches are real. Let's come together in prayer then. Holy One, we know you journey with us everywhere we go. Whether it's to the vet or to Kansas or to cancer or divorce or to graduation or marriage or to parties Wherever we go, you're with us. We lean into our trust in you. We ask you to fill us with Christ-like presence wherever we find ourselves. It's in Christ's name, then, that we offer this prayer, the one that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So as we're all getting our pieces ready up here, those of you who grew up with the strong traditional hymns might remember the hymn, I Surrender All. traditional hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence I will live. All to Jesus I surrender. Invite the children to come with me for our time of
So, Professor, you're moving to Prairie Village, Kansas, which is, this is where we are, right here, and then let's see. See how long is it going to take your dad to drive? So directions, driving. Let's see. If he leaves from the church, because that's where you're going to leave from, right? Say his goodbye. It says it's going to take him one day and three hours to drive there. That's a long drive, isn't it? I wonder what life is going to be like in Kansas. I wonder. went to Slovenia. Let's see if we can find that on there. Okay. okay. Slovenia. That's, whoa, look at how far away that was. That's way, here we go, let's go back up here. Oops. And we'll show you how far away that is. So here we are, way over there, and he was way over here in Slovenia. How long does it take to drive there? Let's see. It says it can't find a way there. How did you do it, Jim? Let's see. Yeah. And I wonder if the people wear different clothing there. I wonder what kind of food they eat. I wonder, I just wonder how life is different there. My son, Theo, so high, uh, who are watching at home, I'm, you're not sitting behind me. Uh, also very far away. And, you know, I know they speak a different language there, and I know they wear different kinds of clothes, and I know that they eat some things that we eat, and they eat some things that we don't eat. And, wow, there's a lot of, this is one of the fun things about traveling and going to different places, is you see a lot of different things, a lot of new adventures. But there's one thing that Christians do sacred stories to find out what that thing is that we all do around the world, around the country, sometimes once a month, sometimes more often. So I'm going to ask our sacred stories leaders to come forward, and then we're going to walk them out. Middle school will come with me. High school, you're still here. Let's go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love God so scripture today is from Mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 10. Listen for what the Spirit is saying. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat he called his disciples and said to them I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, uh, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, Well, how many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanutha. 
This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The church that Cressers mentioned in, in Prairie Village was right outside of Kansas City. It's a fantastic church, by the way. Sherry Wangenheim grew up at that church, longtime church member, about 5,000 member congregation. So uh, they will be in good hands. We're probably one of the best preachers in the country is at that church. So they're headed to a good place. I have to admit, when I came to this passage doing my yearly worship planning, I sort of hit the proverbial wall. When I went back to my notes about a week ago to get ready for this Sunday, I, I had left myself the note, oh, how many times do you hear the feeding of the multitudes? Even those who are not that familiar with the Bible probably know this story where a miraculous number of people are fed with seemingly little food at all. There's all kinds of interpretations you can take with that story. There's just the miracle, of taking it on the sheer face of things, at face value. How did this happen? What does it mean? You have the interpretation that this, there was a kind of a miraculous sharing that took place and that people were so considerate about how much they took that there was enough for everyone left over. That's nice. There are the Eucharistic, the communion overtones of Jesus breaking bread and giving enough for all at the table. A lot of deep and rich meaning there. You talk about God's economy, which is an economy of abundance rather than an economy of scarcity. And that's what these feeding episodes represent, just like that's what communion in part represents. The ingenuity and the and the uh, thoughtfulness of people. Sometimes people will say that, oh, you know, women used to carry loaves of bread in their robes. And so actually they brought food. It became like a holy potluck. That's wonderful interpretations, all of them. But I don't know. They just kind of felt tired to me this time around. Maybe I was tired, to be honest. And then one line kind of jumped out at me and caught my attention. Really, it's just half a line. And that's actually a good reason to always go back to Scripture. Just when you think you've gotten it, there's always something more. And no matter when you go back to it, depending on where you are in your life, something stands out to you. Particularly if you read with others. If you're somebody who sat down and you're like, okay, I'm going to do the Bible, and you open it up, you're not likely to make it very far. It doesn't read that well in isolation, but if you can read it with some community, usually something or other will pop out by the grace of God. Well, that line comes just as Jesus is getting ready to send the people away after they've been with him for three days. He's been teaching, presumably, and they've been there, but then he's moved with compassion because he realizes some of them have nothing to eat, and here's the line, and some of them have come from a great distance. Now, that doesn't seem that miraculous on the surface of things, but think about it. Some of them came from a great distance to be with them. And this was not, you know, they didn't pull up in their car on their way to, you know, have the rest of their day. There were no flights, right? You would have come on foot, probably from other towns. They would have made pilgrimage, journeyed days of walking, probably just to see this one, the Christ, to experience his teachings, maybe his healings. So they came a long way to be with him. And he knew that sending them back without filling them up would put them in very real danger. Because they made a very real sacrifice to be there. I have a friend who just competed in the World Championship Ironman, the triathlon, a couple of weeks ago. It was, uh, it had been moved from Hawaii to Utah. And he, and he went, and as he was getting ready for this over the past year, he would, I mean, I would learn about his training. It's incredible what you have to go through to compete in one of these races. If you're not familiar with the Ironman, it's, it's swimming, biking, and running. The swimming is a 2.4-mile open water swim. I'm done at that point already, right? Okay. Water wings start to rub after a little bit. <laughs> then it's a 112-mile bike ride, 7,400 feet of elevation climb, uh, followed by a full marathon with a 1,400-foot elevation climb and that. 
Imagine the training, the sacrifice that goes into this. 90% of the people who competed in that event had to qualify by doing a similar race and not just surviving, but doing well enough to, to get in. And even though that was the case, one in five of those people did not finish. He was talking to somebody afterwards who said, you know, I've done 37 of these, and I always knew one of them would be too hard, and this was the one. Think of the struggle and the sacrifice. Why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, it sounds miserable to me. He, he did a half one last year. Somebody died in the race. Ambulances were carting people off. Why would you do that? He told me there was a good buffet at the end. So that, I mean, that got me thinking, well, you know, maybe, you know, what's a little, one browser I'm checking what it would take to train, the other browser I'm looking up shoes that could help my tendonitis right now, just walking around the house. But we sacrifice actually all the time. I mean, really hard sacrifices or monotonous, repetitive, the kind of training, you might say, that doesn't get lifted up on a pedestal as, you know, glorious or worth applause, but is real sacrifice. We do this all the time for things that we care about, for things that matter to us, for things that we want. Anybody here who's raised children, how many lunches have you packed? I mean, your fingers... Worn to the bone from that, probably. Or how many hours have you spent driving your chattel, your cattle, your children, <laughs> children around? One of at school, yeah, right? Jeff and Shelby are going to join the church last week. They're both attorneys. How many hours did you study, not at the bar, but for the bar, right? Others in here, for whatever career you have, or avocation, unpaid career, how many hours did you put in studying or practicing or sacrificing? I mean, look at this row of musicians and performers. I know they have God-given talents, but they did not come out of the womb this way. Right? Patty did not come out of her mother's womb playing the organ and using both feet on the pedals. Like It takes practice, hours, work. We've got a lot of skiers here. You would not go down a black diamond right away unless you don't know what the signs mean. I'm not going to say anybody who's maybe done that before as a novice skier. Right, but we work, we make sacrifices for things we care about without a second thought. Last summer, still a more dangerous place in the pandemic, and so we hadn't seen my family since before it all started. So we drove cross-country, and we did some fun stuff on the way back. But all in all, it was over 7,000 miles of driving. We hadn't seen my parents, so if you do that without a second thought. Of course you would. That's not even to mention people who travel under real duress. You think of the refugees of this world, essentially forced from their home because of safety, who, who, who would carry their families across the globe if that's what it took. And who wouldn't, right? We wouldn't even ask that question of ourselves if we were in those circumstances. So people make long journeys all the time. So if it's intuitive that we sacrifice, that we do hard things or repetitious things or boring things for that which matters to us, why do we sometimes forget that about our faith? Why would we think the life of faith is any different? Yes, it's a gift. Yes, God's grace comes to us. We don't have to earn it. And yet the spiritual life takes just as much cultivation as any other worthwhile endeavor. And yet sometimes we get the sense that if we just kind of fit it around the edges, right, we'll get to it, you know, at some point after all these other things, that that will be enough. And then we wonder why nothing lands or takes hold or gives us much of a feeling. I mean, you can't manufacture a spiritual life. And I don't mean to make anybody feel bad, especially those who try really hard and they're not, it's not clicking for them. I'm here to help you with that, not make you feel bad about that. But I'm also here to be honest about what it takes because it's hard. 
Spiritual life is a rigorous path, one that will test you and will try you. And one of the problems is churches are honest about that because they're desperate not to decline. And they're terrified of losing people by saying and doing hard things or asking them to do hard things. But the problem with that is it doesn't really equip them for the journey. Because when we just tell you time and again how easy it will be, and then you run into something that isn't so easy, your faith falls apart and you have nothing to stand on. And even worse than not effective, it's dishonest. We know it's hard. We know it's hard, but it's required. That's what Jesus invites us to. Not necessarily an easy life, but one that's full of struggle. And, and the hard piece is actually good news. I know that sounds funny. You're thinking, well, I would rather be told it's easy. But it's good news because it's the truth. And once you have the truth, you can kind of work with it. There was a, there's a great clip. There's, it's, he actually does it more than once. If you just look it up on YouTube, you can find it. The coach of the professional basketball team, men's team, the San Antonio Spurs, a guy named Greg Popovich, is a mentor, among other things, to the warrior Steve Kerr, if you follow that kind of thing. And there's a great clip where he's uh, called a timeout in a big game. It's in the, it's in the finals, uh, and, and the crowd's going, so he's got to be kind of yelling, and the team's all huddled in, and the camera's looking over the top, and he's, he's yelling at them, he's firing them up, and he just says to them, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Now, I don't know why, but when I hear him say that, everything kind of shifts for me. Because if you go through life thinking it's supposed to all be easy, then any time it's not, you think something's wrong with them or it or you. But the reality is, if it's supposed to be hard, there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, there may be wrong with it, what's happening. But really, it's just the way it's supposed to be. I don't mean injustice, but I mean struggle and challenge. If you just come to terms with the reality that the life of a faithful person is supposed to be hard, well, then you realize, oh, this isn't an aberration. Nothing's broken here. This is the path. Then you can kind of rise to the occasion and face it because you realize you're on the right course. You're on the right track. It's not just an after uh, effect of the spiritual life. It's fundamental. It's central to it. I went from my notes too early. Gandhi um, came up with a list that are sort of known as Gandhi's seven deadly sins. He said, seven things would destroy us. And I'll list them for you. Wealth without work. Pleasure without conscience. Knowledge without character. Commerce without morality. Science without humanity. Politics without principle. Now those six could probably take up, I mean, I mean, how long could we go about, the, about those? And religion without sacrifice. That would destroy us. Fundamental to the religious, the spiritual life, is sacrifice. Not for the sake of sacrifice, but for the sake of something that is worthwhile. It's a wonder that Christianity ever took off. Right? It doesn't make any sense. We're just used to it. But if you think about it, it makes no sense. Jesus, yes, said, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, come and I will give you rest. But the road he was taking them on led to the cross. Led right to his betrayers. He said, you have to take up your cross. If anyone wants to follow me, you have to be willing to lose your life for the gospel's sake in order to find it. I'm looking at a marketing person. This is not a good marketing campaign. Come follow me. 
you'll get killed, but at least you'll be humiliated first, right? This is not, not a good recipe for a movement. But did you hear it? If you're willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you will find it. There is life on the other side of that struggle. If you're willing to let go of all the other things, there's life, and that's a liberating message. It's liberating to people who've been pushed down by this world that doesn't work in their favor, and it's liberation for those who are doing the pushing because whether they know it or not, they're slaves too to a system that doesn't really tend souls. There's life on the other side of that. And people know it, and they'll go great distances to find it, and they'll endure a lot. You, you know uh, my interest in pilgrimage as a spiritual practice. I mean, as long as history's been recording it across religious traditions, Christianity and many others, pilgrimage is often a central practice for practitioners. This notion of walking sometimes hundreds of miles to Kansas uh, because... They, something's on the end of that struggle that is worthwhile, and they will make great sacrifice for it. It's a wonder that many make that sacrifice, and we know there are many who choose not to, right? There are more people in Marin who are not sitting here, right? Why would you want to make that sacrifice? Because you've at least tasted that there's life on the other side of it, that there's something worthwhile there. I wonder how many, uh, how many people left when Jesus started teaching. They were there for three days. Some of them had probably never heard him before. They just heard of him. This great one, this great healer, this great teacher, the Messiah, maybe? Is, is he the one? The anointed one? They travel great distance on foot to be there. They think they've made it, and then he opens his mouth, and he starts telling them things like, you have to lose your life. You have to love your enemies. At what point are you saying, check, I'm, I'll just pursue my own interests. And yet, Scripture says that at the end of that three days, there was a crowd there, having done hard things to be there and to stay. And so Jesus uh, uh, gets his disciples together and, and they talk about feeding them and they find they've got seven loaves of bread, the holy number of completion, the number of days in the creation story, right? He breaks the bread with a few fish, also a pregnant symbol, and feeds them and they have seven, another whole number, baskets left over when all is said and done. There's a feast waiting at the end, something on the other side of all that struggle that's worthwhile, this pilgrimage with Christ always paying off. I, uh, I picked up white fragility this week. I, I don't mean I picked up the characteristic. I mean, I mean, I might have. I think I probably carried a good bit of it with me anyway. But the book uh, that many of you have read already became popular as did a number of important works around race after the George Floyd murder and a lot of the strife that we've been experiencing in our culture. I've been avoidant of that book, not because I'm avoidant of the topic. I'm not particularly avoidant of it, at least I hope not, but because I was trying to read authors of color on race issues. But I, I do think there's some value in hearing a white person talk to another white person about a potentially white problem. And if you, if you don't know the book, the, the topic is essentially uh, about how there can be a defensiveness among white people when topics of race come up. I don't know, people feel like they're being attacked or held accountable for something they didn't do, and so they get kind of edgy and they want to push against it, and she calls it white fragility. It's a, a good name for it, I think. It's not a fun read, you're a white straight guy. It's not the kind of, you know, read that you take out and you, you sit on the beach and you take a soft look at the ocean and, you know, you turn the pages. It's more of the kind of hard read that you do sitting on your floor taking a hard look in the mirror. Just about who you are and 
where you sit in the world, and maybe how you've benefited from certain things you hadn't thought about before. But why do that? There are so many good suspense books out there. But you do it because it's worthwhile. Because you care about the kind of person you want to be in the world. Because you know there's life on the other end of that. Because you trust in the path that Christ leads you on. You trust that there's something waiting on the other side. My friend finished the Ironman, uh, which is extraordinary because he'd never done a full triathlon before. Um, so he finished it, and he actually finished it quite well in his age group. And he said at the end, they usher you into this giant tent and they assign you a handler who's ostensibly to kind of just get you what you need, um, but I think is probably really there to make sure you don't have any critical medical issues going on. And they just kind of stay with you long enough till they feel like you're in good shape. And then they lead you to the back, the moment you've been waiting for, all the training, all the visualizing of finish that race when you're awarded the buffet, <laughs> right? It just... It's the whole back of the tent. And he's like, it's every genre of food. You've got Chinese food here. You've got uh, ethnic, ethnic food of all kinds. Anything you want, you could have. And I'm guessing at that point, you are not calorie counting, right? Because you've burned a lot of, you know. And uh, the tragedy was, though, he, he said to me, uh, my, uh, my stomach stopped digesting anything at mile 15 of the marathon. So he said, I couldn't even take in water, much less... Now, I think I would not have completed that race. Uh, by that race, I mean sort of the walk to the starting line. Uh, but I was made for that tent. I mean, just let me start there. I will wreck that place. I'll come out, I'll come out with a medal. Christ invites us on this incredibly difficult, long, strenuous journey. Moments when we think we don't have what it takes to finish. Moments we wonder why we started in the first place. We're confused which direction we're going. We might need help. Other moments filled with such incredible joy and celebration and, and uh, uh, overwhelming sense of gratitude for the gift of it all that we can only speak in terms of miracles and images and metaphors. But no matter where you are, the difference is in Christ's difficult journey comes to us wherever we are and lays out a feast from which we can fill ourselves and be restored to go the next leg. And the difference is that we may not always understand it or be able to make full sense of it. The holy feast that awaits us at the heart of every moment in Jesus Christ is a meal we can always digest. May it be so. Amen.
Rob was talking about the hours of practice these musicians have put in, it reminded me that I think the first time Dash ever sang at Westminster was part of our children's choir called the Joyful Noise Choir. Like, what, 20 years ago? The director of that choir at the time, 20 years ago, was Barbara Castle, who sang with us on our anthem. 20 years later, Dash and Barbara still singing together, which is awesome. You may be seated. 
I do invite you to check out all that we have listed here in the bulletin, ways that you can get involved both in the life of the church and in the life of the wider community. A couple of things to, that aren't in here. Um, first, we have a, a playhouse build happening this afternoon here in our parking lot. It's through Habitat for Humanity, uh, but instead of building houses that take a really long time, we're building playhouses that can be done in an afternoon and then will be donated to various nonprofits in the county. Um, we had a full signups and then we've had some COVID-related uh, dropouts. So if you're interested in helping out this afternoon, it's from noon to five, but you don't necessarily need to be here the whole time. Find Jeff Schenkel after worship or find me. I can give you more details, uh, but it should be a really, really great afternoon of service. Um, we, we've talked about it before. It's been a little while. Just a reminder that we have a survey in the narthex, on the table in the narthex, um, where we're just trying to capture your interests and gifts and talents. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to sign you up to do everything here at the church, although maybe we should because, you know, it's not easy to be a part of a church. Um, but what we really want to do is just uh, find ways to plug you in in ways that are meaningful for you. And if we might have a one-time need and your gift might fit um, something that we need, we can, we can connect. So grab a survey on your way out. Please fill it out. Finally, it's in here, but I just want to give it special billing. Our church picnic is coming back. We haven't had a church picnic since 2019. We are at it again. It's going to be June 5th, Corte Madera Town Park, right after worship. Come in your picnic clothes. All the food's going to be provided. Just a wonderful time for some fellowship and a time to be together. So with that, uh, let's join in our closing hymn, Standing or Sitting. It's number 718. Friends, as you go from here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.